0: The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City Church.
1: Amen. Good morning, Story City. Uh, My name is Stephanie. I'm very grateful. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm very grateful to be reading scripture with you this morning. So if you're capable, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. I will be reading Deuteronomy 10, uh, 14 through 17. The heavens, indeed the highest heavens, belong to the Lord your God, as does the earth and everything in it. Yet the Lord has his heart set on your ancestors and loved them. He chose their descendants after them. He chose you out of all the peoples as it is today. Therefore, circumcise your hearts and don't be stiff necked any longer. For the Lord your God is the God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, mighty, and awe inspiring God, showing no partiality and taking no bribe. This is the word of the Lord.
0: All right. Good morning, church. How are we doing today? Yeah. Hey, I. Uh, my name is Justin. And I have the privilege to serve as one of your pastors. And I got to say, if I could choose any weather, uh, it, this is like the start of it, what we're experiencing. But I want that downpour. I genuinely like, like, listen, I don't want to be wet. Like, If I could avoid, if I could just have a dome over me and I could be around the torrential downpour, uh, that's that's what I would have. If I could recreate just sitting outside of a coffee shop in Ireland, sipping and just enjoying the rain around me, that's ideal. If I could choose, Uh, but I don't get to choose that. I I sit in California, and when rain alerts come, we don't even know if it's actually going to rain. Am I right? So, uh, but that, but if I could choose, that's what I would choose. You know a little bit about me with what I would choose for weather, but if you knew uh, more about me, uh, you would know that I'm a really competitive person. Some of you have played games with me, have played uh, board games with me, and you know this. And I always have to to tell myself going into it, some people just want to have fun. And because I want to win, and everything's winning or losing, it gives you a little insight into my mind, even just how I look at the world. But I want to win, and I've always been this way. I've always wanted to be a a, a competitor. And listen, I confess, I know that that's not always good. (laughs) I understand that there's some negative traits in that. But if you ever want to win, I I just—I'm ready to be on your team. Okay, I like to win. And I've always had this this competitiveness about me which growing up gave me a really love-hate relationship with pickup sports. Okay, so I grew up in a generation at a time where you could just get on your bicycle and just roam the streets, and parents were just like, just come home whenever you see streetlights. And uh, and, and, it, and really all you would do is you would get on your bike, you would roam around the neighborhood just to see, is there another kid just standing somewhere, and then go make friends. So how many times I had to like, we'd go hang out at a stranger's home, I'd pick up a landline and call family to tell them, this is where I am today. And my parents are really just hoping that when the streetlight comes on that I'm Home, uh, we didn't have cell phones. I didn't. We didn't have a pager, so it was just it was just streetlights, man. And uh, but I, I, you would drive around and you would just start collecting your friends straight, uh, that and form pickup games. And I had a love and hate relationship with it because I wanted to win. And, and so that was part of it because there were, there were people who would do a pickup game and they're like, I'm just here to have fun. I'm like, there are, there's, we're playing pickup football. There's points. Winning is fun. And so it was, uh, but the thing that really gave me a love hate relationship with the pickup sports is somehow you had to figure out teams. And often what would happen is two people would, would go out, would somehow select who the team captains are, they'd walk out, everybody else had a lineup, and then you were just, you were just ranked and gazed by how you looked. And just to, so that you understand me a little bit more, as a kid, the best way that I could describe what I was was a gangly mess. Okay, so if, in your head, if you can draw an image, if you know these images, just think like the young Forrest Gump with, with the braces on his legs or, and a mixture of a little bit of alfalfa from Little Rascals. Okay, that was me, freckle-faced and just, and it didn't help that my mom was like, oh, let's dress you up as alfalfa for Halloween when you go to school. And uh, it's like hindsight, like, let's not let me get picked on. But that's, I digress. So when I lined up at the, at, the, at the field, I was always last to be picked. And then I hit a growth spurt, and then I became big. And then for the rest of my life, it's just been the big guy that stands at the line. And whenever you're playing pickup sports, you, that, people are looking for the skill-based player. So the big guy's never what they go for first. So for my life, it's always been being picked near the bottom. Always have. But here's the thing. I, I, I'm an athlete. I'm pretty good at sports, and so my identity is inside of this thing, and when you're standing up at the line and no shade on them, like you're picking based off of face value of what you think someone's capable of. I mean, that's the, that's the realm you put yourself in as you, as you step up to the line. And, and you're being weighed and you're being measured by what can you produce. And as a good team captain, you're sitting here, who's going to help me win? And you're looking at not just who's my best overall, you know, athlete that's going to help me win. You're looking at, okay, we need some role players. This person looks like they could play this position. Maybe that's going to help us win. Like, I get that. But for me as a competitive kid who was an athlete, it, it, it drove me to com- in competitiveness that I would say, okay, I got picked towards the bottom, but I'm going to come back next week and I'm going to be picked one slot higher until I'm continuously come back. I'm approved to you that I am worthy of your selection until I get picked first overall. And that's my goal. Like it didn't, it didn't deter me. It motivated me to be that first pick. But every time, to this day, I love playing Ultimate Frisbee. If I'm playing with strangers, and and, and we get to, I'm still towards the last pick. But my my drive is to say, I'm going to come back next week. You're going to pick me higher. I'm going to show you that I'm a game changer. That is a part of of, ju- of that competitive drive for me. But it feeds into this identity of how we even select and choose things p- based off people's value and worth. I mean, how many of you have ever, it didn't matter if it was a pickup sports game or maybe it was PE for you or, or you had that horrible childhood where you showed up to church and thought, we're just doing church, but then they threw dodgeballs at you. How many times in your life, have you, has anybody else had to walk up to a line to be selected? Okay, a few of you, a handful of you you some of you it, it causes this awestruck fear as if people are just looking at you and you're like i didn't need you to tell me that i that my value was low in this area of life, okay I knew that I'm just here because I have to be right and it could be really you, you, there could be some shame uh involved it, like it just because it has to do with identity and whether or not we are worth or valued enough to be chosen. And here's the thing is that's something that we do experience on this earth. It's not just in pickup sports. We experience that all around. If, in a, if you're trying to date somebody, there's so many different, if you're going in for a job interview, there's so many areas where you have to try and prove your value and worth and whether or not that, you are, that you're worthy enough or valuable enough to be chosen. And here's what's hard, is we cannot take this earthly experience, this earthly perspective of what it means to be chosen and take that into our relationship with God for what it means that he would choose us. That we have, a, not, not just on one sense, that we have a value to offer him and that he would only pick those that he, that he deemed valuable, but even for, for on the back end to think that, well, if, if my perspective is that I only offer value, that my choosing is only in what I have to offer, then I, on the back end, that means that there's a lot of pressure to maintain my value. And I understand that temptation because it's how we experience this thought or idea of being selected, of being chosen. And it leads us, we read it in our passage already, uh, but it brings us to our, 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 our scripture for today that talks about God's choosing and And we have to focus on this because because it does affect our identity. it does affect how we perceive ourselves or how we view God perceives us we 're in a series right now called maker 's Mark: Believing that all humanity is created in the image of God, and that our identity matters because we carry the identity of God it doesn 't matter where you 're at in your journey or your or your faith, whether it 's your first time in church whether you 've been coming for a long time. This truth matters that how we view God will dictate how we view ourself. Because we have to, everyone asks themselves, at some base levels, everyone asks themselves, who is God? Who is this higher power? And who am I in light of this power? So if they're even in the cases of, I don't even believe in a higher power, I don't even believe in a God, that still impacts, then who am I in light of that? that it does not that I am just a corporeal being that i that I am just it, it everybody wrestles with this this is why it leads a w tozer to, to write the words what we think about God when we think about God is the most important thing we 'll ever think about because it starts with if we 're created in the image of him, then our view of him is going to is going to affect how we can view self and so let 's take let 's start before we even uh, unpack the, the language and the words of what it means for us. Let us focus to the the to the image Himself that is God. So let's let's we we selected a few verses from Deuteronomy 10. I want to take us into a chunk of, of of that scripture just to uh, hear some context around the verses that we shared. So if you have a Bible with you, please open up to Deuteronomy chapter 10. Open up to Deuteronomy chapter 10. I'm going to be reading through verses 10 through 22. Uh, If you don't have your Bible with you, it's okay. Get get out your phone uh, and just, uh, you can Google Deuteronomy 10. You can get an app. We'll be reading out of the CSB this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 10. I'm going to read verses 10 through 22. So this is God speaking to the foundation of Israel, their formation. And so in context, we understand that this is speaking to a specific group of people. But we also understand that this is going to, uh, this is going to share attributes of who God is. And, and, and that truth transcends not just to that people group, but we know by the blood of Jesus that we have been adopted into those promises. So it stands true for us today. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 through 22. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you except to fear the Lord your God by walking in all his ways? To love him and to worship the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. Keep the Lord's commands and statutes I am giving you today for your own good. The heavens, indeed the highest heavens, belong to the Lord your God, as does the earth and everything in it. Yet the Lord had his heart set on your ancestors and loved them. He chose their descendants after them. He chose you out of all peoples as it is today. Therefore, circumcise your hearts, and don't be stiff-necked any longer. For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, mighty, and awe-inspiring God, showing no partiality, taking no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow, and loves the resident alien, giving him food and clothing. You are also to love the resident alien, since you are resident aliens in the, in the land of Egypt. You are to fear the Lord your God, God and worship him, remain faithful to him and take oaths in his name. He is your praise and he is your God who has done for you these great and awe-inspiring works your eyes have seen. Your ancestors went down to Egypt, 70 people in all, and now the Lord your God has made you numerous like the stars of the sky. As we read these, these words, as we receive the scripture this morning, I want you, everything else is going to be in the lens of this. If you don't remember anything else from this morning, I want you to remember that God chooses you for your good and the good of others. God chooses you for, the, for your good and the good of others. God's chosen are holy. And this word holy, which literally, translate, literally means to be set apart, which is going to matter set apart from the rest of the world. This is, this is a message of promise to to the people, to God's people, to those who know Jesus. And for those who know Jesus, have a personal relationship, have, have, have given your life over to him to say, he is, the, he is my Lord, he is my master. I, I commit my heart in relationship to him. I live my life in his ways and for him. For those who claim that today, this chosenness, you walk in your identity. For, for anyone else that hears these words, this is the promise, this is the invitation that God has that you would step into this chosenness that, that Jesus makes available. And so this, this message and this scripture isn't just for those who would believe in the name of Jesus. This is for those who have a hope in the, in the truth of what can be received in the promises of being God's chosen. God's chosen are holy. They're set apart. God, God reserves his, his something for his chosen people. This is an identity of what ought to be for all of humanity, to, that chosen by God. So it impacts then. If I am set apart, if I am chosen, how does this impact my life? How does it impact the world? God chooses you for your good and the good of others. The first part is God chooses. We can get caught up as we read that sentence. We can get really caught up in the your good, the good of others. But we have to hone in on where it starts, where it all begins. God chooses. Verse 14 in our scripture this morning. Verse 14. Hone in on this. If you, if you have that Bible with you, underline, highlight. If you have your phones, highlight this. Verse 14. The heavens, indeed the highest heavens, belong to who? The Lord your God. As does the earth and everything in it. The earth. Where do you live? Are they, good. Quick answer. I love it. Yet yeah, you live on earth. Everything belongs to him. He is the Lord of lords, the king of kings, the creator of all. Everything belongs to him. Everything in the heavens, everything in the earth. It is God who chooses. This is his ability. This is his right. This is who he is. God chooses. And if you want to put a little note in there, if you're, if you're following along, which I encourage you to do, to take some notes. God chooses. And let us not make a mistake. Put a little heading in there that says, for him. God chooses. It starts with him. It it, it all belongs to him. What motivates? What is for him? Everything is for him. God chooses for him. God chooses. To, To clarify before going forward, that's not to say that we don't have a level of choosing. But we only have that ability in response to what he's made available We only have the option to choose God in response to his making available and choosing. So it is God who chooses. God chooses for his glory. The heavens, indeed the highest heavens, belong to the Lord your God, as does the earth and everything in it. God chooses for who he is, not for what we have to offer but for his glory based off of his character. This is important because a lot of times during gospel presentations, God has, we'll say things like, God has a purpose for your life. And I I say that, and I mean it when I say it. But oftentimes in gospel presentations, we might say things that can honestly be confusing sometimes. Like God has a purpose for your life. You're uniquely made, and God has a purpose for his kingdom for you. God has a plan for your life. And this is true, but that does not mean that this is your value to him. We cannot get that confused. God did create you uniquely for a purpose and, and God has a redemptive plan in your life and God wants to build his kingdom and God has a plan for all his people to, to, to in, the, in what he can redeem and he's gonna use it for the glory of his kingdom to praise his name. But your attributes, your giftedness, That is not your value to him. That is not what makes you valuable. We are not chosen because of our potential. Our potential is only ever reliant on his strength and redemptive work. There is no potential that we have that we can can muster in ourselves. Anything good that we have, anything good that we produce is only in in the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. In the help of sanctification, by partnership with the Holy Spirit, God making us more a- into his image and, rede- and redeeming a sinful nature. And so it's not even, it can't even be about potential, because it's not our potential. It's his, and his work in us. This matters in understanding God's choosing. We are not chosen because of our potential. God doesn't look at us as a mechanism. He doesn't look at us as role players. Who's the best athlete? Who's going to be the best in my kingdom? He doesn't look at you and go, okay, who's going to do this work in my kingdom? Okay, I'm going to choose you. I'm not going to choose you. That, that, that's not a part of, what, of who God is. God doesn't decide, on, decide based on potential. He doesn't look at us as a lineup to pick on his team. Does that remove the, what God sees in you? No. God loves what he sees. He loves that you're uniquely made. He made you this way. It doesn't mean that he doesn't see what you have to offer, the good that you do have in your life that he wants to work with and work in. It doesn't, it doesn't nullify any of that. Why? Because it moves to what is the purpose What is the purpose that God chooses? If it is just God choosing for him, God chooses. It's for his glory. He has the right. There's no no ability in us to choose God. Then why would he move this way? Verse 15 tells us. Look at verse 15. Underline, highlight. Stay with me in verse 15. I'm going to read the first half of this. Yet the Lord had his heart set on your ancestors and loved them. So in the same breath, this isn't verse by verse. We look at it in context. In verse 14, the heavens, indeed the highest heavens, belong to to the Lord your God, as does the earth and everything in it. Yet the Lord had set his own heart on your ancestors, and he loved them. He chose their descendants after them. He chose you out of all the people as it is today. You are not chosen on what value you have to offer, but because you are valued by him. Jared spoke on this a couple of weeks ago in our identity and where our worth and where our value comes from. And, and it's, it's hilarious. It cracks me up all the time. And some of you uh, who, who who know Jared and myself, uh, you love this about us, and then it also drives you nuts. But uh, there's so many times where uh, I, I was pastoring for 15 years before moving up here to uh, to Burbank, to Story City. And, uh, and there was a lot of times where I'd have isms and things I would say like, oh, this is, I haven't heard it anywhere else. This is something like a Justin flavorism, right? And then, uh, and then, and then all of a sudden I started hanging out with Jared and I'm like, he's stealing all my isms. He doesn't even know it. We're so alike. We're so similar, which is why for some of you, you love it. It's great. And for other of you, you're like, I get it. I get it from him and I get it from you, like I understand. And so I love this, and so which is great for us as a congregation because we need the repetitiveness, right? So let me remind you of the goal that, that Jared spoke over us a couple of weeks ago in our identity. So when it comes to our value, if, if we're not chosen based off of our value and what we have to offer, but because we are valued by him, let's think about this for a moment about value. Where does, how does something get its value? Anybody remember? For what you're willing to pay for it. That's the only place where value is. Doesn't that drive you nuts in our marketplace? Come on. Why are the house prices the way that they are? Because they can. Why is it that that people can sell a product in this location for a different price at this location? Because they can. And you're willing to pay for it. And we're set up in a world where you have to. So value is only ever attributed to what you are willing to pay for it. So when it comes to us, if it is God's choosing of us and it's only reliant on him, if he's the one making the purchase, if he's doing the choosing, if he's coming for us, what is the price? It is God himself. God incarnate Jesus Christ coming off the throne and of heaven to put on flesh and humbling himself to come in the form of a baby and humbling himself to experience not only the human nature around uh, around him but to experience death even death on a, cro- on a cross this is the value it's not because it was valued in what we did, but because there was value placed in us. There's value already in the maker's mark. There's value in the fact that we are created in the image of God. God did not create humanity and say, oops, I made a mistake. God did not create humanity and then watch Adam and Eve fall into temptation and into sin sin and say, oh, I didn't see that coming. God knew it all. God knows everything. He sees all and still creates in his image. And not just creates in his image, but puts on that image as Jesus Christ, as, he, as God himself came in the form of man. This is, this, this is the value of a maker's mark. Yet the Lord had his heart set on your ancestors and loved them. It's God's heart that was set it's not just his mind. It wasn't just a determination. God and his character of who he is as a person is to love. Even in his Trinitarian God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, a, a Trinity God that we cannot fully understand, but we know that it's all encompassing around love and relationship. God who creates a humanity to say, This is going to be in my image for love and relationship. It was God's heart. That was set upon man to say, I choose them, to love them. You're chosen not on, your, on what you have to offer, but because, because God values you. His choosing is rooted in love, which means that you are loved. It goes back to the, the, the message from last week you are beloved. His choosing is rooted in love. And if his choosing is moved by love, then our response ought to be in love. He's not selling fire insurance. Some of you didn't get that joke. So let me just officially put on my dad hat for a moment. Some of you are like, what does that stand for? It's dad. If, if, you, know, if you know, you know. Or is it on this side? I can't, I can't remember. But so put on the dad hat for hat for a moment let me explain a joke to you okay okay god's not selling fire insurance which is how we've often proclaimed the gospel and the salvation don't go to hell let me paint a picture for you of what hell is do you want that or do you want the nice clouds do you want do you want to be secure do you want to feel safe God's not in, in selling fire insurance. What God is doing, it's set on love. It is his character. He sets his heart and he chooses to love. It's not God's favor, his choosing, this salvation that we experience, a set-apartness. It is not to prevent hell. It's to reconcile and unite us back into a loving relationship with our heavenly Father. And this is why we can say it's not just God's choosing, not based off of our value, not based off of what we bring to the table. It is all Him. It is all His glory. It is all God choosing. But this is where it comes. God chooses for your good. Not for the good that you can produce, but for how it benefits you. Because in His loving relationship, in the security of being reconciled into a relationship with the Father... It's not that it's keeping you from hell. It's that hell is a place that God is not in, in that perfect relationship. And so it's in the space that we call heaven. It's in the space that we call the new kingdom, the new heaven and the new earth. That we live in perfect relationship with God the Father. And so it does, it, it is for our good, but not just because of our eternal destination, but because of God. what God is doing right now. Salvation is not something that's going to happen years from now. Salvation is something that happens right now because God's kingdom is present and at hand. God, this is the, the mystery of what is something that is already, right now, salvation in our hearts, sanctification, the transformation of Jesus in our lives, the death and life, the burial and resurrection of Jesus that we get to experience in our own lives. It's already here, but we know that it's not yet because God's kingdom is still coming. There's still an ushering. It is for our good and what God is doing and also what's not yet been done. God chooses you for your good. God pursues you. You are not asked to cross the divide. Because here's the truth we can't. We can't cross that divide. We can't get ourselves to heaven. We can't get ourselves to Him. It is only by His grace we can't cross that line. And here's the truth humanity, we've tried. We've tried in so many different ways throughout history to cross that divide. So many different religions have been formed. So many different methodologies and ideologies have formed to try and get us to cross for us, humanity, to cross that divide. And it's not working. It has not worked. It will never work because we can't cross that divide. Only he can, and he did as Jesus. It's not possible for us to cross that divide Without God's intervention, we would not choose anything else. If it wasn't for God's intervention, we would choose anything else that's not him. Okay, so in a, lot of, in a lot of sense, a lot of people will go, well, if you're not choosing God, you're choosing hell. And that's not true. Because what sin is, is choosing anything that's not him. And the devil wants you to make you think that it's these polar opposites. That if it's not this direction, it's this direction. But to be fair, if, it's, if God is this direction, if He is the way, the truth, and the life, if God is this direction, it doesn't matter if you're just a small bit off. God's direction, it's not, sin isn't just this, this polar opposite. Sin is anything that, so for us as humanity... We can't cross that divide. We can't. We can't even choose that. Why? Because we're gonna. Our flesh cries out for anything that is not God. Galatians five seventeen tell, puts it this way: Our flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and it'll take anything that's not God. In fact, sometimes it'll take something that doesn't even look polar opposite, and it'll just slap God on top of that. It looks similar. It feels kind of the same way, that, and it will and it'll distract us and get us pursuing something that we think is good, but it's not God. God pursues us, and we need that. We need God's choosing because we're incapable of choosing. And so we need God's intervention in our life. It's not just about capability, but without God's intervention and choosing, we could not get there ourselves. If it is he who chooses, I've said this before, I love it. It, is so, it was so soul-transforming transforma- for me when I really understood this, which is why I constantly bring it back for us. If it is he who chooses, if it is God's choosing, if it is he who chooses, whose responsibility is it for the keeping? It's his It's his. If it is he who's choosing, not us, if we can't choose him, if it's solely on him, God chooses, whose responsibility is it for keeping? It's God's. So once again, thank you, God, that it is your choosing. Because even if somehow, if there was even a realm of possibility that I could make that choice, I know that I wouldn't keep that choice. So, it is only by his, by his relentless pursuit in me, his relentless promise of keeping and choosing his relentlessness. If it wasn't for that, there would be no security because he is the one who keeps. And gosh, is there not just a freedom and a weight lifted in that? Because if it wasn't about our performance, if it wasn't for our, before our value on the front end, if it wasn't for that, then it was never that to keep it in the first place. Am I right? Once again, God chooses you for your good. It's for our benefit. It's why a friend of mine, an author, Kyle Roberts, can say, humility, humility, not good actions, is the driving force behind our relationship with God. Humility, not good actions, is the driving force behind your relationship with God. That, there's a there's there should be a wrestling in your heart but shouldn't i act this way if i have christ in me shouldn't i shouldn't somebody be look this way for that's looking at fruit that's looking down the line in the now in the today in the moment It starts in humility as the driving force behind our relationship with God. If I am humble enough to say less of me, more of you, if I'm humble enough to say, not my will, but yours be done, if I am humble enough, is it not the faithfulness of God to maintain the keeping of His of of that, that which is connected to the vine? It is in His keeping. Thank you, Jesus. So how do we respond in this? Verse 16, once again, underline, highlight, verse 16. How do we respond? Therefore, circumcise your hearts and don't be stiff-necked any longer. Let me start with this, this concept of being stiff-necked. Um, I have a toddler at home. He's three. And, uh, and he's got the stiffest neck of anybody I've ever met. Okay, because there's times where I'm like, dude, I need you to look at me. I need you to understand my words. I need we need to have a conversation. And he's like, over here. Like, well, and and like as a parent, I'm like gently like cusping his head, and I'm like trying to gently turn it, and it just won't turn. And I'm realizing if uh, like I know I have the strength. But I know that I can force this turn, but it's not ending well for either of us if I do. And so, and it it is probably the hardest thing I've ever had to move in my life. Especially, especially if Bluey is on anywhere. Anywhere. Okay, Bluey, Mickey Mouse. Like, if a toy goes off at the wrong time to play the theme song or Mickey's voice, it's gone. It's over. That kid is stiff-necked off to the side. This is what it means for us. Once again, if our destination, if it's the way, the truth, and the life, the stiff-neckedness is is looking anywhere else. And God's saying, eyes on me. Come to me. I want to speak to you. And if you know anything about children, eye contact matters. That's why in my home, I'm constantly, before I say anything, I'm like, eyes on me, dude. Eyes on me. I have something to say to you. Because I know if his eyes aren't on me, that retention's gone. In the same way... What, what the call is here of how do we respond? God is speaking to his chosen people. Eyes on me. I have something to say to you. You are my chosen people. I have chosen in my heart to set it upon you in love. I have a way, a path for you. But you're not going to hear this if you're stiff-necked, if you're stubborn. Come this way. I'm not going to go that way. Come this way. I Have something beautiful. I have something for you. you I know you can't see yet. I don't know. I'm going to steer this way. He's saying, circumcise your heart. Do not be stiff-necked. Let me guide you. Let me lead you. If you would just set your gaze upon me. I know you won't be able to see the destination, but you can see me before you. And if you just had the faith in me, I will lead you and I will guide you. The circumcising of one's heart. It's the commitment, circumcision, this 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 covenantal language that is a promise of keeping. This commitment that I that I will make this vow, I will make this promise, I will make this covenant, this irreversible, irreversible covenant with you. Circumcise your hearts. Commit your hearts upon my heart. It, it is he that chooses out of love. Our response is then out of love, which means that we don't circumcise the flesh because it's not what the flesh has to offer. It's not in our strength. It's not in our value. Circumcise the heart. Humble yourselves. Allow your heart to be transformed by him, by his character and what he wants. And yeah, you're not going to be able to, to, to follow it on your own accord. So don't be stiff-necked and set your gaze upon him. God chooses for your good. And here's the third thing for us. And for the good of others. And the good of others. Verse 18 and 19 in our passage. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. And he loves the resident alien, giving him food and clothing. You are also to love the resident alien since you were resident aliens in the land of Egypt. My friends... And so long ago, as, Jesus, as God is speaking these words over Israel and calling them as a nation set apart, on this day, who is the resident alien in that choosing? It's the Gentiles. It's us. It's those who, by the blood of Jesus, by the grace of Jesus, have entered into the covenant with him. God chooses for the good of others. This promise that is not only good for, for themselves, but it's, it's, it's for all people. God chooses for the good of others. God's choosing has always been for the world. God was using the Jews to be a light to the world. And I, and I believe context and consistency is everything as we look at Scripture so I want to I show you a simple roadmap. I want to demonstrate to you a simple roadmap of how we see this from the very beginning. It wasn't just about a chosen people that was Israel, but a chosen people that was Israel that was always meant to welcome in the world. From the very beginning, and, and I would encourage you to write these passages down. I did it long ago, and I have it on one sticky note on the inside of my Bible, and I have all of these verses that say God's plan on it. And so I want to encourage you to write these down. The first is Exodus 19.6. Exodus 19.6. When God speaks to the, in the formation of Israel, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. There it is, that set-apart nation. Not to look like the nations around you, but that you would be set apart, that you would look different, and it would be evident because my blessing would be upon you. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. And now we continue into Isaiah nine six. Isaiah 49.6. As God's people are now in exile and he's calling them home through a leader. These words are spoken. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. This is not a New Testament thing. This is a God's plan from the very beginning. It's clear as Jesus is coming and how it speaks about Jesus' Jesus's person, God in the flesh. It continues in John chapter 1, verses 4 through 5. In him was life, and life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then Jesus speaks these words about his identity and he imparts it as he's giving his message, his sermon on the mount, as he's instilling what the kingdom of God would look like on earth as it is in heaven in Matthew chapter 5 verse 14. When he says, "You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. You are the light of the world." And then in First Peter, Peter, a Jew, the Peter who 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 takes in this identity of God's chosen, is he, ca- he, he captures it all in First Peter two nine. He captures it all. All of this roadmap here it is in its condensed version. First Peter two nine. But you are a chosen race, speaking to those who've been adopted in the blood of Jesus. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous night. His marvelous light. It's from the very beginning, a chosen, a chosen people for the nations. I was talking with my uh, good friend, Brendan, the other day, and he was telling me about how he was driving uh, uh, in, in L.A. this week. And as he was driving, he saw a seagull on the side of the road, just sitting on the side of the road. And he was like, yeah, I was just driving, I saw the seagull, and at first I was just going to be like, well, that's weird, and keep driving. But then I was like, wait a minute, there's a seagull in L.A. He's like, That's weird. That's out of place. He's like, it was honestly the most beautiful seagull I've ever seen. And I'm like, dude, do you have much experience with seagulls? But it's neither here nor there. He was, it was like, it was a beautiful seagull. And I was like, it's so out of place. He's like, that's, that's what it means for us to be set apart. That's what it means. That, we, that, that, there's a, that our life should be in a place that is beautiful. That I, at first, I'd be like that's out of place. And it points to, there's a home for you. There's a place for you. And, and I was like, dude, I love this simple little seagull. I, I love that it speaks to you because he points to a truth. It points to a truth. My, my preaching professor in college once told us, uh, as, as aspiring pastors, he spoke to us about it, what it means to preach the good news. And he said, listen, when you preach, uh, you need to understand that people connect with brokenness, not success. If you want to draw in a congregation, if you want to be tender and caring and a shepherd with others, understand that people connect with brokenness, not success. We want to be encouraged, but the most reliable stories are almost always the redemptive ones. We lo- I mean, we love a good redemption story. We love a good underdog story. It ties in us this, this deep understanding of I'm broken and there's something that I can be called to. It's this thing that something stands out. Something's not right. There is a place, a home for me. Last week I touched on 2 Corinthians 4.16. And I want to end us by, by capturing this out of places, this for others, this, this kingdom of heaven, this kingdom of God. Uh, back into this passage, is talking about something of a prized value, a prized possession that is God's, uh, God's presence, the Holy Spirit residing in our earthly flesh. In 2 Corinthians 4, starting in verse 7, it says this, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Now I'm going to read the rest of this passage, but can we hear that for a moment? How easy it is for us to say, I've received Jesus. For God so loved the world, he loved me. And how easy it is to see this prized possession that is mine. And that all I have to do for the rest of life from that moment of conversion, from that moment of choosing him, it's my responsibility to keep it. And to maintain it. To make sure that this prize never gets broken. That this prize never gets tainted. And so I'm just going to lock it in a box. I'm going to keep it secure. are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at, hand, in, at work in us, but life in you, for it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Why is there a set-apartness? Why is there a choosing? Why is it that God's blessings would be in this choosing? Why would God work in something that is imperfect, not something that's going to prefer, per, perform to its best? It's because it's not just for you, it's for others. And as we live our lives, as we sit in a space, as we are a city set on a hill, that, that what happens that's good in us, it is for, we're in charge of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God. All the glory to him. Our hearts, let me, church, our hearts should be consumed by a love to see the world come to know a loving relationship with Jesus. Not something that's good. Not something that is like, well, if that happens, that'd be nice. Oh, it'd be cool to see these cool stories happen. Friends, our hearts, if, if, if you know Jesus, if you've been reconciled, if you've been redeemed, if you know the chosenness, what comes with that, the love and the unconditional, relentless pursuit of God. If you know this for yourself, your, our hearts should be consumed that the rest of the world would know a loving relationship with Jesus. It should be all-consuming. Every person with no reserve and, and, and do not get caught up in looking at a lineup to see who's worthy of, cho- of being chosen. Do not get caught up in that. Because let me tell you something right now. God, Jesus, is way more comfortable with sin than we are. You look at his earthly ministry, the people that he spent time with, and thank Jesus because that, that's his character because I'm that person and I needed him. God is way more comfortable. So as we go out, do not pick your line up. It is not on merit. It is not on value. It is not what they have to offer to the church as a friend to you, to, a, to, to his kingdom. It is every human being without reserve. Our hearts should be consumed by this. And listen, I'm not saying that every person here has a call to be a pastor. I'm not saying every person here has the responsibility to be a street evangelist, an apologist, or, or, or that you can only produce Christian media and content. But what I am saying is that if, if I've received the love and grace of Jesus Christ, if I know what it means to be chosen by God, then my heart should be consumed with how to love my neighbor in a way that points to the Lord of lords. God chooses you for your good and the good of others. Let us not be stiff-necked, Let us be a people who circumcise our hearts and give our lives over to him, set in love, set in his choosing, set in his ways. And I love that this morning is Communion Sunday, something that we get to look back on. Jesus, as he institutes Communion. And at a covenantal dinner, he, he says, do this in remembrance of me. And this remembrance is not just some, some haphazard. Oh, remember that this happened this one time? It is this active remembering. It's, it's going to the table, receiving the elements. And when we remember, we step into the promises. We step into the chosenness. We step into the covenantal relationship. We step into the circumcision of heart with, with repenting from our stiff-neckedness. We step into that and we we proclaim his truths over us. And so I'm going to invite you during this next song to, to come forward and receive communion, all of us together, to proclaim the death, resurrection, and life of Jesus, the forgiveness of sins and life eternal. Let me pray for us. Father God, I thank you for who you are and I thank you for your choosing. I thank you that it is all you and that we get to sit and receive. God, in this, during this next song, as we worship, as we come to receive communion, God, may we come in just this, this heart of recept, reception, that we're just here to receive, receive the words, receive the worship to your glory, that we are here to receive the elements because it is not on our value. It is not what we have to offer. We bring nothing to the table we simply receive your choosing, your imparted value upon us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.